Galatians, I'll be looking at a passage particularly 4, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4, and verse 5, but with other passages sprinkled in. As we think of the coming of Christ, the story of Christ does not begin in Galatians 4. The coming of Christ does not begin in Luke. It doesn't begin in Matthew. It doesn't start in Zechariah or Isaiah. We have to go clear back to Genesis to see the plan, the ordaining of God to provide the perfect lamb. And even before this world was created, God had planned. God had made a way for us to know him and to be brought into fellowship with him. Way back in the garden when Adam and Eve were created, they enjoyed the perfect beauty, tranquility, the peace, the fellowship with God that we see turned to isolation and shame. As beauty turned to brokenness, why? Because of man's disobedience to God. And whereby as, as sin came from one man, so sin, death, passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And scripture tells us that every one of us this morning have come short of the glory of God. That we are made in his image, we are made in the likeness of God, we are created for his pleasure. We are created to know him, to walk with him, to fellowship with him. And yet we see that in the garden that God removed man from paradise. And not only did he remove him so he would not come in contact with the tree of life, but that he said at, that, at the east entrance of that garden, angels, cherubims, with flaming swords that they would not enter therein. And as we see and contemplate the loss of fellowship with God and the brokenness of the beauty that God had created, we see man in need of a savior. And in Galatians chapter 4, I'll read verse 4 again, and verse 5 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions, the adoption of sons. God never intended for us to be alone. God never intended for Adam to be alone, and for that reason he created him a help me. But God never intended for us as his created beings to be alone without God in a world. And as we read earlier that we who, before coming to know Christ, we were without God having no hope in this world. The next verse says, but God. Aren't you thankful that God intervened? Aren't you thankful that God had intervened in sending his son at the perfect time 
Three things I like to look at this morning in these two short verses. The perfect time, the perfect servant, and the perfect savior. And God in his time that we have something to learn about God's timing. Number one, we realize it's not our timing, right? If you look, if you take your Bibles and, and, and look, read Malachi and Matthew, apart from some commentary between the intertestamental periods, there's one page there. But that one page represents some 400 years. And during that time that Israel was sandwiched in between Persia and Egypt and they were going back and forth, it was like the hammer and the anvil and Israel was getting smashed and, and, and plummeted. It was during this time that some 100 years before the coming of Christ, Antiochus Epiphanes polluted the temple by offering a sow on the temple's altar. And Malachi, the last chapter of Malachi, it says that God will be as a fire. If you turn to Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, Behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day come that shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And it was until 400 years after that in Matthew chapter 2 it says, But unto us a Son is given. That Jesus Christ was heralded as the coming Messiah. And you say, why 400 years? The God's timing. The perfect time of God. As God gave to us his son at the right time. The fullness of time. The time that was complete. God's plan from eternity past was fulfilled at the perfect time. And may I... Allow the scriptures to be comfort to us today. Romans chapter 15 says that all these things, all of the scriptures, the Old Testament in particular, and on into the New Testament, all these things are written for our learning. That we, through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures, might have what? Hope. That we might have hope. That God has never intended for us to be left here without hope. He's never left us here to say, where is God? He doesn't know. He doesn't care. He's not coming. He's not going to respond. Where is God in the midst of my hurt? Where is God in the midst of my uncertainty? Where is God in the midst of my struggles? Where is God? Behold your God. All these songs this morning just chorusing together. Behold your God. Seated on his throne. Come let us adore him. The timing when it was full speaks of God's sovereignty. 
been teaching kids in my Sunday school about the big word sovereignty and you ask them what it is and they can tell you that it's God is able to do whatever he chooses to do whenever he chooses to do it with whom he chooses to do it with God is sovereign God is in control and folks this morning that should bring us comfort in knowing that God is God. There's two things, and someone taught, taught me this long time ago. There's two things that are true. There is a God, and I'm not Him. Okay? There is a God, and I'm not Him. I'm not God. I'm thankful that God is God. I'm thankful that God knows my time in the beginning from the end. I always tell, I tell Kay, I says, I feel like I was born 100, 200 years too late. I'd rather have been riding across the West on a horse, you know, or a wagon train, and I probably wouldn't be happy with that either, you know. But I need to rest in the assurance that God is in control, that He has, has chosen me to live at a time such as this, and that God has chosen you to live in a time such as this. And you say, Lord, how long? How long? Jeremiah asked that question, how long should I continue to preach? And literally, God says, until there's no one left. <laughs> until there's no one left. Folks, this morning God is sovereign and I should be content in that. Psalm, the psalmist in Psalm 31.15 says, Lord, my times are in thy hands. 2 Samuel chapter 10 says, the Lord will do that which is good and right. Not just my life, but my times of my life are in his hands. Realize that you and I will not live one more day than what God has ordained. And I will not cut that short. God has a plan for me. God has a plan for you. God has given to you the blessing, the opportunity to know him, that king, that God who is seated on the throne. Come let us adore him. Why does God let things happen? Where is God? Where was him? Where was he when Noah was building that ark and for a hundred years withstood scoffing and ridicule and someone would come by and say, Noah, are you still building that, what you call a boat? Why? Well, it's going to rain. The, the earth is going to open up. It's going to flood. Flood? What's that? And for a hundred years that man was faithful in building and 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 equipping and bringing in the animals and bringing in the food because there was going to be a worldwide judgment. Joseph, when he was asked to interpret Pharaoh's dream, he says, I can't do that. But there is a God in heaven. But there is a God in heaven who can. And in his providence and in his sovereignty that he took Joseph and brought him down to Egypt. Why? To be treated cruelly by his own flesh, by his own blood, 
thrown into a pit. And that Joseph says, God intended for me to be used of him to preserve life. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Who are we going to trust? May God, may God be the focus. May God be our delight. May he be the one whom we trust. Esther, on and on you could go. And God's sovereignty. And Haman who sought to kill Mordecai and eliminate the whole uh, Hebrew race. God in his sovereignty protected and caused them to rise up. And God blessed. We need to be careful that we don't get so focused on our circumstances that we forget and neglect our God. Is Elizabeth Elliot who lost her husband to the Indians down in Ecuador, along with others that were there to preach Christ and him crucified, were brutally murdered. And that it was Jim Elliot who said, He is no fool who gives, gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. And it was Elizabeth Elliot who later on said that it's not me in a different set of circumstances that would make me happy, but it's Christ in me the hope of glory. And knowing who God is and knowing what God has done and knowing and anticipating what God will do. What will God do with you and I in the days to come? Only He knows. And yet would we be willing to put our lives in His hand, the God who fulfills all things in His time, in His way, for his purpose, for his glory. God sent forth his son at the fullness of time, speaking of God's sovereignty, that we would learn to be satisfied and content and trust. He sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. We had not only the perfect timing, but the perfect intent speaks of Christ's servanthood. The intent, as Galatians chapter 3, if you'd read the whole uh, context in chapter 3 and chapter 4, it says, what is the law? The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law is not our ticket to heaven, but the law is that which brings us to he who can fulfill, and as he came to fulfill every demand of the law. That he came and walked and lived, and that every demand of the law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That he took upon him, not the nature of angels, but the nature of you and I. That we, may, that we might be made 
complete in Christ. For you see that Christ fulfilled every demand of the law and that we are complete in him. Christ, verse 13 of Galatians 3, says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. Verse 16, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for all that we might be made partakers as we sang earlier, the inheritance of the saints in light. Oh, what a rich treasure we have in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Are you reading that sign? We're blessed beyond measure. We don't fully understand, we'll look here in Ephesians just a bit, we don't fully understand the riches of his grace that is found in the kindness of our Savior. The perfect intent speaks of Christ's servanthood, that he came, that he would be made like unto us without sin. Verse 23, let me just real quickly Give us a illustration of what the law is. For before faith came, we were, shut, we were kept under the law, shut up into the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. The law and the intent was not that God made a mistake. That he gave the law, but the law couldn't save? No. The perfect intent of God was that he would give the law to show man his need of a savior. It says that the law was that which brought us to Christ. He who fulfilled every demand of the law for you and I. That we might be brought. That Christ might bring us to God. When I was about nine years old. I, uh, I was locked up in prison. Have any of you been, you know, you can be honest, okay, I'm being honest with you. Have any of you ever been locked up in prison? I won't come to you and see if you have an, ex you know, outstanding warrant, you know. But have you been locked up in prison? Are you all being honest with me? Okay. I was locked up at the age of nine. My uncle was the sheriff of Buena Vista County. And we'd go up there from time to time and visit him and his wife. At that time, Buena Vista had just acquired a new jail facility. And he says, hey, come, let's, I'll show you the facility. And it was all automated, you know, and all, you know, ran from a control thing, control room. And he says, just walk down that hallway. And he turned into that cell and 
So, wow, this is, this is neat. Can you imagine a little nine-year-old boy saying, boy, this is neat, but it's also kind of scary. So I walk down there, just kind of looking around at these bars, you know, that were, you know, almost as big as my thigh, you know, just huge. And, and I walked into that cell and then, pow, he locked me in. He from the room when you pushed the button and I was locked in there. I wasn't going anywhere. Well, maybe I cried, no, don't leave me here. Okay. But scripture tells us that we were locked up. We were, we were confined, we were, were shut up. Just as in that jail cell, waiting for someone to come. Someone comes down and he holds out his hands and those wounds. Says, where did you receive those wounds? And he said, for you. I received those wounds for the payment of your sin. I died on the cross of Calvary for your sin. Would you believe me? Would you take me to be your savior? Be mindful I'm guilty. I'm shut up, I'm locked up in that cell. Condemned, guilty, waiting for the verdict which has already been passed down. We, the, have you have been on a jury? He said, we, the jury, find the defendant guilty. I was found guilty. But God so loved the world and he loved this man, Larry Matson, so much that he gave his only begotten son that, who, that if he, Larry, would trust him as his savior, he would release him unto life eternal. For whom to know is life eternal. And you this morning, you're still either two places. You're in that cell waiting for the accomplishment of your works, of your deeds, of your efforts, of which will never happen. Or that this morning the Savior tenderly says, Come unto me, all ye that labor. Ye that are weary, come unto me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That God has given to us a Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and as a servant washed stinky feet, who lived and, and, and walked amongst people who were the outcasts of society. He didn't come to heal those that were healthy. He came those to heal those who were sick. And we are sick. The sin, what can heal the sin-sick soul? Only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us. For all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, putrefying, rotten rags, 
wrapped around the leper's sores. But his righteousness, what? Come unto me, he says, and your sin that is red like crimson shall be white as snow. And you and I can be let loose, let loose, let freed from that jail cell. The law was the intent to show us our need, our need of a Savior, the need of Jesus Christ. And finally, this morning, we see a, a Savior who gave his life to redeem me, to redeem you that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. God took upon himself the form of a servant who's made in the right in the likeness of man, but being found in fashion as a man, it says he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And if there's anyone here this morning that you say, no, I'll do fine. I'm, you know, I'm doing fine. I've, I've been, I've, I've been blessed. I can realize I've been blessed beyond measure. But if you, my friend, this morning are continuing trying and, and expecting to enter into the presence of your Lord based on your own effort, that's a proud thing to do. That's a destructive thing to do. For the wage of your sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may you remember this as you leave today. Salvation is a gift given, not a diploma received. Okay? It's a gift given by God Himself through the Son, His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not a diploma received. When I graduated from college, there were those that were, grading, were graduating, and I don't understand what it all means, but magna cum laude and summa cum laude, and I turned around and said, I said I'm just thanking the Lord. I'm just thanking the Lord that he gave to me the ability to march that aisle. But salvation, my friend, is not a diploma to be earned. It's a gift to receive. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I am guilty. Deserve the punishment. But God in his grace in sending his son redeemed me, set me free. That my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I'm to glorify God in my body and my spirit, which are his. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me, gave himself for me. He gave himself for me, for you. When time was complete, when the time was full, God sent forth his Son, Born under the law, born of the Virgin Mary, to redeem me who was feeling the curse of the law, that I might come to God, that I might come to Christ, come to God through Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, 
verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead, see, I wasn't looking for God. God was looking for me. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, trying to find my way or work my way to God. God is the one who drew salvation's plan. He's the one who brought it down to man. He's the one, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardoned there was multiplied to me. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span that day for you and I at Calvary. When we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. See, we today, even you who, who, who know Christ as your Savior, you and I have not a complete understanding of the grace of God, the mercy of God. But one day we will. For you see, right now we look through a glass darkly. But then face to face, we will know even as we are known. God will one day, he will show to us the great riches of his grace shown to us in the kindness of Jesus Christ. A God who loves you. A God who has sovereignly orchestrated your life, my life, put you alive here at this time and this place for a purpose that my life would so shine before men that they would see my good works and glorify my Father. That your life would glorify your Father which is in heaven. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Heavenly Father, this morning we are so blessed to have access to the very throne of God, that the curtain is torn in two, that we can come boldly into thy throne of grace, that we might find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And God, more than, more than us, you know how needy we are. We need you, Lord, this day. We cry unto thee this day. I pray, Lord, that if there's any here today without Christ, that they would be released from that prison cell by the grace of God, the, the, the blood that flowed from Calvary so freely for them, for each one of us. Lord, lest we forget thine agony, lead us to Calvary today, right now. Lead us to Calvary. 
Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. How can our words express our thanks for a God who has been so kind, a God who has been so merciful to make us a trophy of your grace. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for redeeming a sin-sick soul. Thank you, Lord, for the day that we will come before thee and that we one day will see the completeness, the great riches of your grace and your kindness shown to us through Jesus Christ. Help our hearts to be full today, Lord. Help our mouths to speak freely of our great God and our great Savior to those who need to hear, those who need to see, those who need to fear, those who need to trust. Oh Lord, we are nothing special. We're nothing, we're no one worthy. But we have a God who is worthy. We have a Savior who is worthy of all of our praise and adoration. And to him we say thank you. Use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.